Welcome to the School of Travel's podcast. I'm your host, Becky Gillespie, and each week I bring you stories of how travel can truly change your life if you take the chance to get out on the road and step out of your comfort zone. My guests also share travel tips and lessons they've learned along the way, which I hope inspires you to let travel be your teacher. Hello, listeners. Welcome back to the School of Travel's podcast. This week, we are in full-on travel dream mode here on the podcast. And now that I've been here in Japan for almost four months, I thought, what a better time to finally do an episode about off-the-beaten-track travel in Japan so that it will always be here for you to reference as you plan your future trips to Japan. In March, I got a chance to spend a month living with my good friend Kiara and her husband Tatsuro as they kindly opened their home to me after I returned from a month in Kyoto, not sure what my next travel move was going to be. I actually interviewed Kiara all the way back in episode 4 of the podcast, so check it out if you want to learn more about her background and personal adventures in Japan. So one night, Kiara and I sat down, we got some wine, we started at the top of Japan in Hokkaido, and we worked our way down the country, island by island, giving recommendations for you for your very first or your next visit to Japan. Kiara's recommendations are going to give you a very detailed idea of where you can go once you've covered the general Japan travel circuit of Tokyo, Kyoto, Osaka, and Hiroshima. We're also going to talk about some travel-related culture in Japan, including what it's like to stay at a ryokan, Japan's omiyage culture, and even typical Japanese breakfasts that you'll encounter when you go on a ski trip in Japan. All right, without further ado, let's go to Japan. Welcome to episode 37 of the School of Travels podcast, and I'm back for the first time with someone I've already interviewed on this podcast, all the way back in episode four with Chiara Terzuolo. Hello, Chiara. Hi. Hi. Uh, listeners, I first have to say a huge thank you to Chiara because I have been staying with her now for almost a month. We are still here in quarantine. Yep. Although... <laughs> We're we're in Tokyo, but we're not in real quarantine, I have to say. Kiara, can you give a really brief explanation as to what quarantine is like here in Tokyo? Yeah, definitely compared to, you know, Italy and other places in the world. We are not in quarantine. Uh, Japanese government (laughs) cannot force quarantine. It's a law issue, really. So we are attempting to stay away from everyone. They are currently asking non-essential businesses to shut down. What is counted as an essential business seems quite wide right at the moment. Uh, We'll see about that. Um, And generally, you know, practicing good hygiene, staying away from humans, and what else? Yeah, just washing our hands so often they've become chapped. (laughs) Right, not getting on the trains. Yeah, avoiding the trains for sure. Yeah. Um, But not everybody is, as pictures (laughs) in the, uh, the newspapers this morning were proving. Right, but I mean, I really can't thank you enough for all your hospitality here. This is also my last night here. Listeners, I'm going to be going to a different place to stay because I'm a nomad, as you know, and I just have no idea how much longer I'm going to be here in Japan this time. So, But Kiara and I have been talking, and we realized that it would be great to share more about Japan with you. I have to say, Kiara, your first interview with me back in episode four has been really popular. Oh, yay! I'm glad. So (laughs) I think people want to hear more about Japan, and we decided 
today, we would do off the beaten path Japan travel. Mm. But we're going to go really off the beaten path with Kiara because actually (laughs) between Kiara and I, we have 24 years of experience living in Japan. Kiara has been here now for 11 years Mm -hmm. and she has seven years working in the travel industry in Japan which I've never done myself. So we're going to start with Kiara in this episode. (laughs) And actually, in the very next episode, I'm going to be doing what I call less off the beaten path Japan, which might be maybe the second time you come to Japan where you might want to go. But Kiara is going to give you a lot of ideas about places you can go if you really want to try a place that really doesn't feel like it's seen a lot of tourists at all. Yes, that's definitely what I specialize in. (laughs) That's fantastic. I'm excited to learn from you, Kiara. (laughs) This is going to be great. So I thought, listeners, we could start from the top of Japan and go from north to south, essentially, mm-hmm. by island. So first we're going to start with, by the way, did you know that Japan has over 6,300 islands and only 490 of those, I think it was, mm-hmm. are inhabited? So we have a lot to cover. Yes, <laughs> we do. have a lot to cover. <laughs> but we're going to start in the far north on the main island of Hokkaido. Mm-hmm. And Kiara, I know you've been there. How many times have you been to Hokkaido, would you say? I've actually only been to Hokkaido once, strangely enough. Um, Quite a while ago, I was being interviewed by NHK, uh, which is basically the Japanese version of the BBC, uh, about Hakodate, about a month before they finally completed the bullet train that connects uh, Hokkaido to the main island. Which was so exciting when that happened because I spent so many years here in Japan just like you had to take a flight to Hokkaido. It's true. It is still extremely expensive unless you live somewhere up there. Um, going all the way from Tokyo to Hokkaido is it's a good chunk of change if you go by train. Is it covered on the Japan Rail Pass? Uh, I think part of the way is, but not all. Okay, so listeners, if you don't know, the Japan Rail Pass is something you can buy. I think you still need to buy it before you come to Japan. They've changed the law. You can also buy it once you arrive here. However, you will, of course, have to wait in line for it. And it costs a little bit more. I think it costs about 60 bucks more, which makes it worth getting abroad. Oh, that's great to know. I have to tell, I have to update that on my website, actually. Mm -hmm. You can get a pass for seven days or 14 days. Yes. um, Which makes it a lot cheaper. That means you can take all the bullet trains for one price. Not all of them, I should say. Not the fastest You cannot use the Nozomi. Um, But they're pretty good uh, about telling you which ones you can use and not. So anything less fast than Nozomi, you're in good shape. Okay, so let's go back to this place called Hakodate that you were talking about. It's very close to where the bullet train does Mm -hmm. end. It's the last point that you reach in Hokkaido. Hakodate is where the bullet train ends uh, in Hokkaido, at least so far. They are trying to continue to connect it on to Sapporo. And Hakodate is a really interesting city. It was basically the wild, wild waste of Japan. Uh, that's where people who you were, you know, kind of against the current, the government at the time, this kind of, you know, the imperial forces versus the new we want democracy or something approximated to it forces. Um, the people losing out, the people loyal at that time to the emperor ran up there. And, uh, well, it didn't end well, no surprise there, but it was very much sort of the Wild West and it has some cool architecture. It's very pretty, very retro. Um, I really liked it a lot, even if I went in the middle of February when it was really, really cold. Wow. I know that it has one of the best night views mm-hmm. in Japan. I'm going to put that in quotes because Japan does this. They'll yeah, say, this they do this. One of the best gardens, or this is yes. one of the, they just name it. You know, I don't know who yeah. named it, but. There are the million dollar views. There's a few of them. 
And I do think, though, that it is well-deserved. It was gorgeous. I was very lucky I was there overnight. I actually stayed overnight just so that I could see that. And it is amazing. It basically looks kind of like an hourglass of glittering lights um, with the, the uh, sea on either end. And the most sort of thinnest part of the hourglass is just about a kilometer in width. So it's very dramatic, beautiful, and it's a really walkable town. So that was kind of nice, too. How would you get to Hakodate from Sapporo if somebody's flying from Tokyo? Should they fly directly to Hakodate? Or mm. would you recommend more going to Sapporo first and then doing a little road trip? They could, could rent a car. Yeah, I, it depends what you want to do. Uh, renting a car in Hokkaido is relatively easy and it's not as crowded <laughs> as places like Tokyo, so it's a little less scary. That's for sure. Um, if you're going to Sapporo anyway, just as well go in from there. There's a lot more flights, but yeah, it could work either way. They're not that far from each other. I mean, I think it's about four and a bit hours. Um, for Hokkaido, that's not too far. It's a big island, but yeah, it was definitely well worth it. Nice. Any other places you would recommend in Hokkaido for somebody going up there? Okay, well, I haven't been there personally. I mean, Sapporo sounds really fascinating, um, but Otaru, which is a short, I think about an hour away or so from Sapporo is a really lovely retro port town. Um, the one of the, probably the most famous photos you see of Hokkaido, kind of with the like the Victorian style oil lamps and whatnot. That's Otaru, and they have a big festival in the winter, the uh, Snowlight Path, um, which is super cute. So that is really nice. Uh, good retroness happening there. Skiers, of course, go to Niseko. Mm. Uh, which at this point is basically an Australian like <laughs> outpost in Japan. Uh, but I hear that the snow is really great. And personally, I desperately want to go to Rebune Rishiri, Rishiri, sorry, which are the two tiny islands right at the top of Hokkaido where it's basically Russia. And that that's the next plan uh planned trip i hope we can go together one day i'm gonna actually talk about that in the next episode listeners because i have been there but i want to tell you a little bit of a story about it so you can get the full picture but yeah it's it's, hokkaido has so much to offer and i really do think if you're a snowboarder you have to go to hokkaido at one point in your ski or snowboard career it's or nagano or niigata there's you know there's a lot of there at least not this year because of the fires and just well global warming hey uh, weren't great, but when it snows, it's awesome. <laughs> so much powder. N- Niseko is famous for its powder, but just so many other places around Sapporo as mm-hmm. well. Um, oh yeah, there's skiing places within the city. Yeah. So. I, know, I, I know people who've rented cars and they just did a, a ski snowboard rental holiday where they just drove to new resorts every other day. Oh. <laughs> I've not done that, but wow. I, yeah. I can only imagine. All right, so Hokkaido, that's just a, a brief mm-hmm. overview, but there's so much to see there. It is the most spread out yeah. part of Japan, um, I would it's, say. It's, in a way, kind of the widest island with its, I mean, of course, not as big as Honshu, which is the main island. But yeah, the distances are intense. I always, when I was working for the travel agency, there was a lot of times I had to explain to customers trying to book, you know, charter tours or things like that, that actually it takes like two and a half hours just to get to the place that you want to go from Sapporo. And at some points I was just like, you know, Hokkaido is very large, sir or ma'am. Just, I'm not making this up. So just keep that in mind. If you're going, if you want to go to Akan, uh, as many people did, which 
Lake Akan is beautiful, um, but yeah, you're looking at, you know, 10 to 12 hours. So it's, it's not doable as a day trip from Sapporo. Please give yourself a lot of time in Hokkaido if you're going to go there. Yes. As part of definitely maybe your second or third trip to Japan. Mm. And I've heard it's a great place to go uh, during the harvest season. They have lots of harvest oh. festivals all over the place. They grow a huge amount of the food consumed in Japan. And they'll have like potato festivals that just hand out cooked potatoes to you as you go along. So hey, who doesn't oh. love that? Yeah, and it's, it's famous for its cheese and its cows producing all the things that cows mm. produce. And <laughs> lots of seafood as well. Yes. Amazing seafood Ramen. up there. Ramen too. Yes. It's like, oh, I want to go back up there. And soup curry. Yes. A lot of places, even in Tokyo, it was like tout their curry places as originating in Hokkaido. Yes. Yeah, it's very, it's a very Hokkaido brand, that. <laughs> well, speaking of Tokyo, let's move on down from Hokkaido okay. to Honshu. Yes. A quite large island, yeah. I must say, which includes Tokyo, but mm-hmm. we we think that you'll you'll go to Tokyo first. Most likely. <laughs> about 60% of people do. So so we won't talk about Tokyo that... here. It sounds right. It sounds about yeah, right. It's a lot. Um, so yeah, let's imagine you're going to come next year for the Olympics, and mm-hmm. then you're going to go somewhere else in Honshu. Where would you recommend? What are some of the hidden gems of the large island of Honshu? Oh my god, there are so, so many... Uh, one that I think is really cool, I really like Nagano and Niigata, personally. Um, Nagano and Niigata both had extremely nice hiking. The food is great. Um, well, we did the Nakasendo Trail. Yes. But yeah, yeah, you go from Gifu through Nagano and eat all of the oyaki, which are these wonderful buns filled with usually vegetable things. So yay, vegan travelers, you'll be happy up there. Um, and then Niigata is definitely sake country. And that is, it is gorgeous. Um, Niigata city itself, very bikeable, very pleasant retroness. Um, a lot of the north of Japan, the area called Tohoku, they, because they're not really the center of the universe, they weren't bombed in wars, um, and they have this nice cold climate that keeps buildings um, looking decent. So they have these beautiful Meiji era buildings and things like that. So I think that is great. And another place, if you're looking to get way, way, way off the beaten path, is Sado Island. Now, disclosure, I do work with Sado Island, but even if I didn't work with Sado Island, I would rave about it anyway. It's great. If you want to get away from humans, perfect spot. Um, How would you get there from Tokyo? So you would get on a bullet train from Tokyo. You would go to Niigata, and then you take either a bus or a quick cab to the port. Uh, there's the Sado Kisen ferry terminal, and then from there you can take either a fast ferry, which is just over an hour, or the car ferry, which takes three or four hours uh, and is cheaper, thanks to that, to get to the island. And they have a couple of these boats a day. Why do you love Sado Island so much? Well, it's really an unusual place. Um, it has a long history, and I know in Japan you also go, we have a long history of bloody blood. It's like, yes, we know. Uh, but it has this very long history since the Middle Ages, basically, of being where they sent troublemakers. It was an island of exile. (laughs) So these were people that, you know, did things that inconvenienced the people in power, but that if they got killed off, that would become a bigger problem. So they ended up with some really wild people there, like Zeami, who is a very famous uh, no 
playwright, some emperors, some politicians, but generally kind of really well-educated folks, and they covered the island with no stages. Because if you're on an island of exile, what else are you going to do? You're going to do plays that last what feels like eight hours. <laughs> can, can we stop for just a minute and, you, and please explain what no is? Okay, no is one of the oldest forms of performing arts or theater in the world. Um, it is performed just by men, usually, traditionally, uh, with masks. Uh, there's an accompaniment of, you know, drums and flutes and things like that. And usually it's stories about gods. Um, in the more sort of informal version, which is called Kyogen, they tend to be quite funny. Uh, and if you can catch one of those while you're in Japan, I do recommend it because they they translate very well, even if you don't know the words. So I like that. Th those I like. <laughs> Fantastic. So Sado Island is covered in no stages. It's covered in no stages. Of course, they're not always performing. Uh, but it just kind of has this very odd, wild feeling. A friend from Hawaii said that it reminded her a lot of Hawaii. A friend from the Azores said that she thought it looked like home as well. And uh, yeah, it is just wild and beautiful. It's a big sort of, it's not known outside of Japan for it yet, uh, but it is pretty famous within Japan as a bicycling destination. People will bicycle one whole round of the island, which is about 210 kilometers, because they'd be crazy. Wow. Um, it has five sake breweries, including the one that supplies all of the sake for Nobu restaurants around the world, which is weird on this tiny little island. Uh, so that's, I think it's really neat. It has a wonderful temple where there are rabbits, which are watched over by a really creepy giant statue of what looks like Benicula with like a kanon, a goddess of mercy, like peeping out from its chest, uh, which you don't see often, I must say. Uh, but it's definitely like, again, hiking. If you like the outdoors and kayaking uh, in the summer, there's a lot of snorkeling. It just, it doesn't feel, it, it feels like it's sort of on a different dimension. And I mean, I travel to a lot of places in Japan and there's no place that feels quite like it. Plus, I love the sound of that. Yes. And in the summer they have the big earth celebration, Taiko festival, which is insane and glorious. And just, I was crying through the whole thing. Just for the newest of people, what is taiko? Oh, taiko is Japanese drumming. And Sado Island is home to kodo, which is probably the world's leading taiko performing ensemble. They also do other instruments as well, but they tour the world for about two-thirds of the year. And for one-third of the year, they're on Sado, including in the summer when they hold this three-day festival. Uh, which is actually one of the oldest music festivals in uh, Japan. It's 33 or 34 years old. Is that in August? It is. It oh, is. It changes okay. a little year by year. And uh, obviously, with the current situation, um, you know, who knows what will happen. They say they'll, they will do it this year, but probably with some precautions, because usually it does attract a lot of people. Mm -hmm. I imagine it might be hard to find accommodation during yes. that festival. You so plan way ahead. Plan way ahead. Or camp. Okay. You can, camping you can camp all over the island and, you know, Japanese camping sites are nice. Even I would camp there. Right. <laughs> I don't camp, so... I am definitely putting this one on my list. Yeah. I like the it's description gorgeous. of it being on, in another dimension. It's, it's really kind of wild, yeah. Wow. Okay, any other places in Honshu? Okay, from Tokyo, um, I mean, people make fun of it, but I really like Saitama. 
Aww. prefecture, uh, which is really cute. It's just, you know, an hour and a half or so. And there, again, is really good hiking. Chichibu is a nice little retro town. Um, Nagatoro has these beautiful gorge that you can uh, go down on a boat, which is quite pleasant. And it's also the place where there's that famous Shibazakura, the moss flocks fields, the bright pink flower fields of tiny, tiny little flowers. They're just pink usually and white and a little bit of purple. Um, okay. I mean, you see the picture of this place. It's called Hitsujiyama. Um, you see it all over the place uh, and, you know, things about Japan. But it is really gorgeous. A nice cherry blossom spot, too. Although I guess we're done for the year with that. Yeah, but hey, I think there'll be a lot of people next year, maybe in anticipation of the Olympics, mm. which are still coming in July. So a few months apart, but cherry blossoms and yeah. Olympics. But hey, yeah. come on over for three months. You're going to need it to cover all these oh spa- my God, all yes. these places you're telling us about. Exactly. And I mean, yeah. it's pretty affordable to travel here, I would say, compared to a lot of other destinations. Especially with the Japan Rail Pass. It's oh, such a too. good deal. And accommodation. Accommodation mm-hmm. here is quite cheap, I think, um, after you see like major cities like New York or Paris or, you know, Milan or those kind of things. So. Yeah, especially outside of Tokyo. Yes. It's, yes, it's remarkably cheaper. Yes, and the food is cheap and great and fabulous. So. Awesome. Yeah, the food everywhere, we should say, just maintains its excellence. Yeah. And every place is known. I think that was one thing I, I discovered when I started traveling through Japan is that every town is known for its particular food. Yes. And that Which is... Which may greatly resemble what is in the next town, but we're, we're just not talking about that. <laughs> but, you know, I mean, it's Japanese cuisine. There is a, a base there. But, uh, no, it's really, it's a fun place to travel. Yeah. Relatively safe, too, compared to, again, a lot of places in the world. I also have to ask you if you could explain the tradition of omiyage. First, what is omiyage? And then what? how does that affect the shops that you'll see in Japan? Yes. So omiyage basically is foody presents. So if you, for example, work in Japan, if you go somewhere for the weekend, um, say you go off to, oh, oh, I don't know, Yamagata, which is another place I really like, uh, you are basically kind of sort of expected to bring back little treats for your colleagues who didn't get to go to Yamagata. <laughs> Although they could have if they planned their own trip. But anyway, <laughs> so everywhere you'll find these beautiful boxes of usually sweet but also savory local foods um, that can vary from, you know, if it's Yamagata, for example, they're famous for their cherry, so there'll be cherry-flavored jelly and cherry-flavored drinks and cherry-flavored cookies, and they're all individually wrapped and wrapped in six more layers of plastic, which drives me personally insane, but hey. Uh, But it does mean that if you're looking for souvenirs, you will be spoiled for choice in Japan. People are obsessed with food. It's it's just the way it is. <laughs> yeah, I remember Nagano, famous for apples. Yes. Like everything was. Well, I love the apple ice cream. That was oh, it is good. Favorite, which I couldn't really pack, but yeah, you could get apple flavored cookies, and and people really do take this thing seriously in mm-hmm. terms of bringing it back for your coworkers. Mm-hmm. Every vacation I went on, I felt like. I had to pick up those that, that food snack at the end of the yep. trip and be like, you have to lay it out. Sometimes you write a little note next yes. to it. Please, everyone, take one. And it's, it's just this unique tradition mm-hmm. that 
I had not you experienced. You take everybody a little bit on the trip with you, I guess. Yeah, I, I, mm-hmm. I love it, but also when it's your turn up to bat, it can feel like you got to leave extra space in your luggage. Yeah, and it's probably, these things are not usually cheap, so <laughs> it, it adds up. So eventually, if you work do work where you travel a lot, eventually they, they let you be. Just Unless you go somewhere really far for several days or really unusual, they'll, you won't have to buy it anymore. Yeah. Thank God. The idea <laughs> is just make sure you get enough where it's like individual, individually yes. wrapped so like each person gets their little thing. Yeah, for your department or like that. Of course, if you have a company of, you know, three million or, you know, th- okay, not three million, <laughs> like 3,000 people, you don't have to buy it for all 3,000 people, maybe just your department or your section or whatever it is. Yeah. You'll uh, also always be seeing Kit Kats, I've noticed. Maybe like Six million in, flavors. In so many flavors. That's one thing Japan has really excelled at, is varying the flavor of Kit Kat yes. in every town. So look for those big boxes of Kit Kats with all mm-hmm. the individual ones. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> well, anything more to say about Honshu, or shall we move on to Shikoku? Oh my god, well there's so many. Like, just to sum up a few more, like there's, you know, Fukushima Prefecture, lovely, gorgeous place. Um... Especially there's this little town called Mishima, which is where they do basketry, and it's like a tiny number of people, and it's where there's a very famous train kind of going over a gorge. People go and take pictures of it. Uh, but there's just so much just near Tokyo. Or, I mean, Tokyo is extensive mm-hmm. in of itself. You take about a train an hour outwards, and you're in the middle of the mountains, and it's still Tokyo, so, which right. is really nice if you want to escape the big city for a while. And we haven't even talked about the fact that Tokyo includes beaches and islands as well. Yes, yep, the Tokyo Islands. And the Ogasawara. Yes, which takes like 24 hours to get to by boat or something. Yeah, have you been there? I have not, sadly. I'm more of a mountain person than a like beach person, but... I still haven't been. It's it's probably the place like ranking highest on my list of places I haven't been in Japan. Mm-mm. But... Like you said, it's so hard to get there. And there's that... only, I think, one ferry a week, so you're right. there for a week. And there, I'm guessing, is not a lot of Wi-Fi service on that ferry for 24 hours. I don't know. Maybe until a certain point and then it cuts out. But hey, we can all do with a bit of a, a detox. <laughs> yeah, I think there's a, there is good scuba diving once you get there. Yes, so yes. That is... Dolphin. I think there's dolphins. And they call it the Galapagos of Japan, yes. which is what, it's like really intriguing me. I really want to go. But it's still part of Tokyo, and it's yeah. a 24-hour boat ride mm-hmm. from the city. It's still considered Tokyo. It's crazy. I love it. Yeah. <laughs> it's another one of those places you want to prepare well in advance. You don't just show up. But yeah, Ogasawara. I will put a link on the website, guys. You will you may have never heard of this place, but it's absolutely amazing. Yeah, if you want to see the uh, Tokyo Islands, but not go quite that far, there's a place called Izu-Oshima, which is a couple hours maybe by ferry, maybe just over an hour or so by ferry from Tokyo. And that gives you a bit of a feel mm-hmm. for that kind of tropical awesomeness. Yeah, we, I've been to Nijima in that ah, area, nice. which yes. was about a 12... Well, we took the slow boat. It was about 12 hours to mm-hmm. get there. Yeah, well, that's quite a bit further out than... Izu-Oshima is... It's like the big city of of, the, of those islands. So. I remember you telling me about that a couple years ago. I really wanted to go. It was a go. wild trip. It was a wild trip. Uh, very, very pretty. Gorgeous hydrangea gardens. Um, really interesting food. But lots of uh, wildlife. I've definitely met a lot of wildlife. Wow. And I was pretty cool with most of it. There is a snake that said hello, then some cats, <laughs> and there was a fox, and a monkey, and that was all cool. Um, and then you get the apparently harmless but rather large spiders, and that was where I noped out a little bit. Wow. But 
Yeah, the the variety of islands and flora and fauna in Japan is astounding. Yeah. And most people just don't even think about venturing off of the main islands, which are the mm-hmm. ones we're talking about. So you can really spend a lifetime here, guys, and not see everything. Yeah. So, all right, well, let's move on to Shikoku. Ah, Shikoku. Which I believe seems to be, of the four main islands we're talking about right now, and then Okinawa, it seems to be the least visited. Yeah, okay, I mean, that's sort of true. Um, it is tiny. There's only four prefectures um, in Shikoku, and... When the Seto Uchi Triennale is in session, uh, Kagawa Prefecture in particular, and Tokushima to some extent, is filled with people because they all want to go into the Seto Island Sea and see all of the various art and whatnot. Also, they are visited because of the now quite famous Shikoku 88 Temple pilgrimage. And so you don't have to walk the whole pilgrimage, but I believe the full loop is over 2,000 kilometers. It takes most people about six weeks to do, and there is definitely a lot of people. I see a lot of Europeans uh, walking that trail because they are hardcore, Mm -hmm. uh, and that is awesome. Uh, But I definitely think it's one of those places that still has a lot of gems that haven't been discovered yet. Like where, Kiara? Let's see. Um, so some of the more famous places are the Ia Valley. I think a lot of people have heard of that spot. Um, and the, ooh, what is it called again? There's the two gorges, uh, all, all something and call something. Sorry. I'll have a look. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, again, they're, they're not too far from the Ia Valley. Um, I do a lot of work, again, with Kochi, so full disclosure, uh, which is probably one of the least visited. And it's really a pity, um, because it's one of those places, like, you know how in California they say you can, like, swim in the afternoon, or in the morning, and then, like, ski in the afternoon or something like that? It's that type of place. It has amazing beaches, and then this sort of Shimantogawa River area, which is kind of flat and lovely, and then you go straight up into the karsts uh, in the mountains, and it's gorgeous. And I mean, as long as you have a car, that's the thing. You definitely need a car if you want to explore Shikoku. Okay. But if you do, it gives you access to some of the most amazing scenery. It sounds like it really hasn't been discovered the way it should be. No, you know, it's, uh, it is the toughest part of the Shikoku 88 pilgrimage. It's like the the four prefectures are divided into kind of, they each have their own character. And Kochi's is like the the trial, the ascetic trial. So there's parts where you have like 75 kilometers between one temple and the other, sort of along the coastline with all the, you know, the rocks and the, the surf and all of that. So it's, um, it's the, the tough bit. Where do most people stay when they're doing this pilgrimage if they're doing all six weeks? Okay, there's, um, because this is an ancient thing, well, maybe not ancient, but this has been going on for a long time, there's a guidebook to this with lists of places you can stay. So there's a lot of minshuku, so basically they're kind of, you stay in people's homes, it's kind of the allowed version of Airbnb in Japan. Um, And there are some hotels, there's some very nice hotels, and then there are some Airbnbs of course there as well, but it's very clearly done, Um, and they definitely try to make it as easy, as easy as, you know, walking over 2,000 kilometers can be oh, yeah. uh, for people. And then some of the temples, I believe, also allow you to stay. Oh, wonderful. Mm. I would love to do that pilgrimage someday. Me too. 
Yes. <laughs> it sounds amazing. And and then the bragging rights. I mean, come on. <clears throat> 2,000 kilometers. One day I'll say I did it. Yeah. And you get stamps at each temple, is mm-hmm. that right? That's the other bragging rights. Yeah. Is that To get the certificate at the end yeah. and getting all those stamps. Yeah, but then, I mean, they're flexible about it. They, you don't have to do all of it at once. There's definitely people who kind of complete the entire thing in stages. There's people who really cheat and go on, like, bus tours. And so they complete <laughs> this thing in, like, three or four days of just, like, going from temple to temple. But I don't see the fun in that. Sounds like the Amazing Race. <laughs> Basically, yeah, but with, like, older Japanese people. <laughs> wow, yeah, that's there, there. There is no comparison there. I'm doing no, no, no. it. I'm doing it the two thousand the hard, kilometer the hard hardcore way. way. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm getting into it. So that sounds awesome. Mm. And I, you've had nothing but good things to say about Kochi. Yeah, I really do love it. Just, like, just from me living with you for a month, it's like well, the tomatoes. You know, the life changing tomatoes I brought back. Those. It was. They were some of the best tomatoes <laughs> I've ever had. It was. Yeah, the food is just. Amazing, yeah. like we've been saying, across the country. Yeah. No, I like it. It definitely, it, it reminds me a little of Osaka. They have, they're a little more chill. Like, they will talk to you, which is not something that necessarily happens all the time in Japan. And they have these really sort of random things, like the oldest uh, street market in Japan. And it's, like, very long. It's, like, over a kilometer of little tiny shops and grandmas bringing the vegetables they sold and deep-fried pota- sweet potatoes, which, oh... Those look amazing. Um, that kind of stuff. The Maki, oh my god, and the Maki no Botanical Garden is just amazing. Is that in Kochi, the city mm-hmm. center? That's in Kochi City, and it's right next to Chikurinji, which I believe is Temple 80 something on the route, and I think is one of, is considered one of the most beautiful. Chiku means uh, bamboo, so it is just covered in bamboo and uh, moss and gorgeousness and then probably if you've been walking for as long as it takes to get there you're you're looking forward to, <laughs> to a little coolness i mean i think i would just be powered by tomatoes to get me through this yeah, pilgrimage if i once i reach kelchi just give me those tomatoes they're mm-hmm. gonna get and tomatoes. udon because you know shikoku is land of u- beautiful udon noodles oh. uh, kagawa the kagawa udon is uh Sanuki udon, it's called, is hard to beat. <laughs> this is amazing. Oh, and, and I can tell you, listeners, from a trip that I recently did with Kiara in Nara, we did just a, a one day, like what, a seven hour hike or so? Something like that, yeah. It was, what, yeah. 16K maybe? Mm hmm. They, like, when you go hiking and you get a little bit off the beaten path hiking in Japan, it's quite common to find these little stalls mm-hmm. selling vegetables and it's an like an honor system basically there's a box and yep. they'll have the price you just pop the dollar equivalent usually, the yeah. hundred yen it's in, usually a hundred yen and you can grab these vegetables or fruits and we had a we had a blast on that hike just like i was eating yeah. <laughs> basically an equivalent of a of a of a quince like a well i found it was like a chinese quince oh that's um, what that's called yeah uh, in in japanese so it was so good and carrots yeah. The, you know all these handmade mochi so many things and oh and the mandarins oh they were so good and it's just they do that across japan it's delightful mm-hmm. and, uh, very helpful you don't have to bring quite as much food with you <laughs> yeah all right so now let's move on to the wild wild west of kyushu, kyushu! yeah the fur the most the westernmost island in japan yes. and what are some highlights of kyushu oh well i haven't seen actually all that much of kyushu i've seen a lot of sort of the northern area of it but um one a few of the things that are just amazing there is it is extremely volcanic i mean all of japan is extremely volcanic but they just take it to the next level 
Um, so there's places where you can take like, uh, was it the sand baths? That's can you describe how the sand bath works for people? Okay, so basically been? the some of the beaches have vents basically underneath them and so the sand is heated volcanically and you go to these places and for a very reasonable fee they rent you a yukata so a little light cotton kimono which you get changed into then you sort of settle yourself into a hole uh we're, we'll not call it a grave it's a hole in on the beach and the nice little old lady attendants will then cover you with hot sand and you sort of steam there for a while, looking at the sea and with Mount super hot? The I'm just trying to like allay some fears. How hot are we talking? Is no, this no, it, it's okay. definitely okay. Like I did it. I was doing it in the height of summer, and okay, yes, they give you by the way a parasol, of course, so you're not getting sunburned in whatever small bits that you were showing. Uh, but yeah, I was in there for maybe about 10, 15 minutes, and it was very relaxing. Definitely, after lugging around a big heavy backpack, it was really nice. Alright, so you're buried in sand, but that's you're... one of the sort of really I've never seen that anywhere else in Japan. So that's kind of their thing. Uh, but then there's a whole bunch of onsen. I mean, Kurokawa Onsen is great, which is a hot spring for those yes. who really don't know. I've not heard that word yep. before. Onsen, um, which is kind of around the Aso area, uh, which is sort of a caldera. Uh, beautiful, beautiful wild area. These like big grasslands. So a lovely place to hike. Again, there's a lot of hiking. Sorry. For those of you who don't like hiking, I'm sorry. <laughs> you can eat, though. You can eat while your friend is hiking. And That's very just, true. Just luxuriate. Oh, luxuriate. Have your t- taste buds. Luxuriate. I don't know. Sink into the udon. Or mm. What is Kyushu famous for, mostly for food? I know probably different regions, different yeah, things. Yeah, it really depends on the region. Um, there's, besides the ramen, tonkotsu ramen out of Hakata in Fukuoka, which is kind of the probably one of the biggest cities in Kyushu, uh, which is made from pork bones. So fellow veggie people, sorry, uh, we, we don't get much choice there. Uh, but ramen fans travel all the way just for that. So, I mean, oh, I don't... never had that. I want to oh, go. Oh, you should. Got to spend more time in Fukuoka. Yeah. yeah. Fukuoka is a really fun city. Yeah. It's sort of, I was, I was pleasantly surprised. When I first went, I went to see Fukuoka in Nagasaki and I had sort of fallen in love with the concept of Nagasaki. I had also watched this sort of Japanese drama TV show about it. And I was like, oh, my God, it's going to be so pretty. And then I was actually a little disappointed with Nagasaki. It was kind of very concrete. Well, they call it like the San Francisco of Japan. And I was expecting to something like that, but not no. nearly as beautiful, I have no, to say. No, no definitely not. Yeah. I mean, sort of the whole churches and things makes it feel a little bit um, different because that's... Around that whole area, there's like the the hidden Christian. There was there was the hidden Christian culture, uh, so that's kind of interesting. But yeah, Fukuoka is nice, walkable, and they have all the yatai, the food stalls that light up the city at night, and so it's great for foodies. There's no comparison in the food life between Fukuoka and Nagasaki. I remember going to Nagasaki and being very disappointed in the lack of good food. I mean. Champon, they have champon and saraudon. Okay, which, I tried the champon, and it, mm, no. it's okay. You it's know, okay. It's, That's the thing. I was not blown away. Yeah, not blown away. And but Fukuoka has, I think, a little more choice. It's also become a big tech uh, hub at the moment, so it's kind of it's got a lot, lot more going on. I think so. It's it's a really good place maybe to enter, and start your journey. 
Um, and Kumamoto, which sadly was hit by an earthquake a few years ago, and so the castle is currently undergoing reconstruction, uh, is also a really nice place. It has these adorable little trams that take you around the place and a gorgeous garden, um, which uh, has kind of like a miniature Mount Fuji in it. So that was really gorgeous. Also, I have too. to say, one of the cutest mascots in Japan. True, Kumamon is quite adorable. He's a big bear, a big black bear. He's mm-hmm. with cute. big red cheeks. Yeah. <laughs> so, have you been to Yakushima? I've not, but you have. <laughs> yeah, I, I would. I would mention. Maybe I'll mention that in the next episode. But that's another definite highlight of the area. Again, more hiking, guys. It's it's mostly for hiking. But yeah, there's so much to see in Kyushu. Yeah. And of course, Okinawa. Then that would be yes. the furthest south. I mean, it's about as far south as you can get in Japan. Mm-hmm. So, and yes, I've been to Okinawa, which is several times, actually, I think three or four times, um, and sort of went around some of the smaller islands there as well, which are super cute. I've still only been once to Okinawa, and at the time I was not a scuba diver, but like that is, snorkeling and scuba diving is like why you go there. I'm told it's world class, yeah. I mean, I did some snorkeling, and it's just, it's crystal clear. Of course, I went, the last time I went was a while ago, we're talking like eight years ago, so before the tourist boom really hit. Uh, But yeah, we went to uh, Tokashikijima, which is just about an hour away by boat from Naha, the main the capital, I guess, in prefectural, not prefectural, the main city uh, on the main island in Okinawa. And that, I mean, just all these fish and it's crystal clear and the water is like warm, but not too warm. It was really lovely. Just watch out and make sure you wear lots of um, coral friendly sunscreen because, oh my God, I got burned. So. Yeah, it, it is a lot like Hawaii. I felt yeah. it's its own, just like Hawaii. It was it was, it was its own kingdom before Japan. It was. took over. Yeah, the Ryukyu kingdom. So yeah, yeah, the dialect there. I have no idea what they're saying. It's definitely not Japanese. Um, it's it's quite cute though. It has a it has a, like a amazing music culture. The music's great. Oh, I love it. That's why I went several times. Was there sort of learning how to play the sanshin, which is kind of this three stringed little instrument that's like all you hear when you're there is the sunshine yes, it's, yes. it's and, mesmerizing and, and, yeah and uh getting the very basics of it isn't too hard if you want to be really good of course you know that takes effort but it's a lovely interesting instrument kind of a combination of chinese and ryu influences that's kind of a good way to put it it does feel like a combination of chinese and japanese yeah. culture at this point yeah like even the traditional clothing and all of that looks nothing like anything in the rest of japan it's so colorful if bright blues and bright yellows and just giant flower looking hats. I love them. And guys, once you get to Okinawa, like don't expect anything like Tokyo in terms of public transportation. Mm -mm. There's very little there. Um, I think there's like one train line, I want to say. Yeah. And it's quite limited to where it goes. So if you're going to drive around the main island uh, where Naha is, then you want to rent a car. Yep. Make sure you have your international license. Yeah, and then really to get these the most magical scuba diving experiences or snorkeling, like you said, go to another island. Yeah. I went to Ishigaki Jima yeah. and some other Taketomi Jima. Oh, cute, yeah. Basically the islands around Ishigaki Jima. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, by the way, Shima in Japanese means island, so when you keep hearing Jima, that means or island. Or Shima, yeah. Or Shima, yeah. So there's all these so really get to get the most bang for your buck out of okinawa don't just stay on the main island Mm-mm. make sure you plan to hit an, some more of these islands like miyakojima is another yeah. miyakojima is like a big really nice resort one. like it's kind of got a more expensive 
image. If you're looking to get a little off the beaten track, Amami Oshima, which is not really exactly part of Okinawa, uh, is another really interesting place to go. Um, again, great snorkeling, interesting singing, very unusual food. They make great awamori. Uh, just, just don't have too much of that stuff. <laughs> you will not remember what happened. Uh, yeah, there's definitely some, at least, how many different, like, types of alcohol that is, like, only coming out of Okinawa. Like, they have their own brands of yeah, things out there. I think awamori is the most famous, and it's, whew! <laughs> yeah, it is not like sake. It is, it is potent. These people know how to drink. <laughs> I just remember the one time I went to Okinawa, like the locals were so relaxed and so friendly compared mm. to coming straight out of Tokyo in like early, early spring where yeah. I'm like, it's still cold here. I was welcomed, you know, by everybody when I went down there yeah. and I was like, I could live here. That's a nice... Well, any other places, basically on any of these islands that we've forgotten to mention, I mean, Japan is oh goodness, unbelievable in its variety when really, I think the first time visitors, they only think of Tokyo, mm. Kyoto, Osaka, maybe Hiroshima. Yeah. Well, I mean, if you want to go way off the beaten track, there's, there's just endless amounts of things. Um, how you can get there is always a little bit the issue. I mean, the trains are fantastic. Trains will get you pretty far. It's just you have to be careful about times. They might not go very often. Also, Tokyo has like massive bus centers that the mm. buses will get you even further out there to yeah. random spots and... Exactly. Yeah. So um, one thing, I definitely think that the, the walk in Nara is not appreciated enough. That was nice. That's called the Yamanobe no Michi Trail. And uh, while it's a bit longer, you people usually walk between Tenri and uh, Sakurai, I believe, was where we started it. You can do it in either direction. Um, I think our direction was quite nice. We went from Sakurai to Tenri. Uh, all the Tenri is really a fascinating place. It's a big religious center for Buddhism, a very specific type of Buddhism, uh, with huge, huge temples. Like, you <laughs> yes. never see anything that size. It's just like if like Trump built a temple, that's what it would look like. I think it was like I mean, in another dimension. <laughs> like, it was. We were in another world when we reached. It was pretty Tenri. wild, and you know, you walk yeah. through this old retro Shotengai, which is a shopping covered shopping street. And all of the shops with, like, religious paraphernalia and stuff. So it would definitely be worth going back there to stay a night. And just oh, definitely. See what happens in Tenri throughout the day. Uh, but that was really nice. It's a good 16-kilometer, uh, more or less, walk. Yeah. So totally doable in a day. Especially if you do it Sakurai to Tenri, so you just shoot back to Osaka and get on the Shinkansen, the bullet train. And, you know, guys, if, if it's too long for one day, it's lovely to stay oh, yes. somewhere along the way. Yeah, the mm -hmm. place we stayed was awesome. Sort of little retro ryokan. Yeah. Can we describe just for the listeners, like, what is a typical ryokan experience like? Oh. Well, it's it's changing a little bit, um, I think, because there's an influx of visitors from abroad who expect something slightly different. Basically, um, it would be a traditional Japanese inn, so you will have a room. Um, if you're like, you will usually have maybe a private bathroom, as in like a toilet, but not necessarily a shower uh, or a bathtub. And you will sleep on the floor in the on the futons. And my tip for this is, um, I'm not actually a huge fan of futon. Uh, they're usually quite thin. 
And this is not because they're cheap. It's just, I don't know. Japanese people are stronger than me with this. My stepfather refused to stay. We checked into a place in Kyoto. He refused to stay there. He Well, wow. we switched to a room that had beds because he just, he said it was bad for his back. I mean, my father couldn't deal with that either. You know, for people who have mobility issues or like uh, things like not great knees, you know, I see the point. And it's the reason also why I'm uncomfortable in them because like bits of bone like press against the floor throughout the night. and Oh, uh, but the tip, sorry, is especially if you're staying alone or just with, you know, one or two other people, there will probably be extra futon in the cupboard. And so when I stay alone for, I get invited to these places often for business, I will usually take like three of them and just sack them and then put the covers back on it. And then before I leave the room and check out everything, I'll just put the other two back into the closet so nobody knows I was using extra futon <laughs> Although what's cool is like often you'll, you'll be somewhere else, you'll go out and you come back at night and they've laid out the futon yep. for you and then they'll sometimes put it away in the morning. Usually, yeah. Um, like especially if you are having dinner, ryokan often include um, two meals. They'll include dinner and breakfast. And the experience of staying at a ryokan is obviously not just the room, but also this food. So it's uh, it's good to check that the food is good, first of all. And if they offer vegetarian, vegan, gluten-free, whatever, which more and more are doing, um, partially. Thanks to all of my lobbying and being a pain in the butt. But thank you for your efforts to help yeah, travelers in Japan. It's, you know, so it's so hard. Such a. <laughs> Can you describe what the typical breakfast might include in a ryokan? Because I think this really surprises mm, people. It's true. So typical breakfast will be a Japanese style breakfast. Hey, surprise! Um, you're usually going to have. It depends seasonally, but you'll probably have a piece of fish. Uh, you often for see breakfast. Salmon. Yes, for breakfast, as I'm sure your stepfather was thrilled about wherever he stayed. Uh, maybe some egg. Um, if they're feeling particularly nice or they're worried that you won't like the fish, you might get like ham and eggs. This seems to be something they've been doing a lot recently for like foreign visitors. Like, oh, they won't eat the fish or something. Like, I've seen like mini hot dogs oh, yes, just by themselves. There's no bun. It's just like little yes. wieners, sausages, whatever. Yeah, Vienna sausages or something like that. Yeah. Uh, oh, Natto? Natto, yes. Um, not a fan. Natto is fermented soybeans. The like stickiest the sticky. food you're ever going to have. It's like sticky pizza cheese. But you know, there's people who like it out there. So, hey, give it a shot. If you don't like it, such is life. My best advice is go for that whole meal. Just try, yeah. everything, try everything. And you'll learn what you do or don't like. And if you are, continue to stay at Ryokan, you'll know what to avoid or what to have more of. Yeah, so. and they'll usually have like little things of veggies too. Sort of stewed vegetables and pickles. Oh, the pickles. Love Japanese pickles. Um, and then a bowl of rice and a bowl of miso soup. So it's going to be very savory all around. You'll probably get maybe like a slice of fruit or like two really perfect beautiful strawberries or something like that and then and this is the killer one usually you have green tea so Moriokan are getting to understand that a lot of visitors from abroad just need coffee <laughs> just just need it and whenever I do consulting I do tell hotels in Ryokan they should at least offer it uh, because we are all deeply deeply addicted so <laughs> and so are Japanese people 
Uh, so just having it there as an option is good. Um, it's worth asking if you really need some. And if not, well, head to the closest Kisaten or something and get your fix. So, yeah, <laughs> Kisaten being one of those traditional Japanese cafes. A coffee, or a coffee cafes. shop. Or, you know, yeah. there's also the chains, Dotor and Tully's. I mean, Starbucks is basically ubiquitous here if you consider that coffee. Uh, <laughs> uh, sorry about that. But, um, yeah, it's getting a lot easier than it used to be to get, you know, a morning cup of coffee in Japan. Well, I will say to listeners that that breakfast she's just described is also what you'll find if you if you go on a skiing trip in Japan. Yeah. That's the breakfast that you'll encounter at a lot of these like huts or what whatever places hotel ski hotels you're staying at. So, yeah. it's not Europe by any no. means. That's, There's not a choice. Really. Yeah, and you it is kind of a shock like whenever we went skiing, the food served just appears wrong to me of course it's perfectly delicious and fine but it's like this isn't ski food so you know after three hours on the slope i don't want a bowl of soba noodles or udon or curry which are... i love the curry oh i can't <laughs> on the slopes I, that's my ski food now, oh that's but, good but okay, that you, you've adapted to that definitely but just be aware of that that you'll have like noodles and curry and you're not looking at you know cheese and burgers burgers or in the european style schnitzel and you know potatoes and things like that yeah i just i just remember those first few times i woke up to ski at like seven in the morning and i was confronted with a fish yeah and like a right like the rice was good i mean like but i had to serve myself they don't typically mm, yeah, give it morning, to you they don't, yeah. you have a rice paddle and you're dishing it out to all your friends it's fun it's a great it experience is. but for those that are used to different food get yeah. used to this because you're in japan mm-hmm. now but then again, if you go to places like Niseko, which we talked about earlier, they are used to having a huge foreign clientele and will do more like, you know, breads and breakfast buffets and eggs and that kind of stuff, which might be more familiar. Right. And also like you're getting what you pay for. Yeah. If you're paying for high, higher end hotels, they're yes. going to have more to offer. So yeah. But I'd say you got to have that experience at I least mean, you once. Have to. Like yeah. I think a ryokan stay is a must. Mm-hmm. And then because you also have like bathing things, so the Ooh, let's talk about the bathing. Onsen. You Ooh. said you don't have a shower in your room. Yeah, naked time. <laughs> Wait, naked? Yeah. What are you talking about? <laughs> so yeah, the hot springs. I mean, this is pretty well known at this point. But um, you get in there naked, and if it's a public one in my hotel, in your hotel. Wait, with like other guests I haven't met. With like other guests you haven't met. Yes. <laughs> So, you know, it's definitely part of the experience, and here it is perfectly normal. So, um, I will admit the first few times, all those, that over a decade ago when I came here, like the first couple times (laughs) I felt a little awkward, but at a certain point it's just like, you know what, it's fine. And and you do, like, you get that yukata, that cotton yes. kimono-like outfit you were talking about. Yes. You you kind of trudge down the hall with these, like, red slippers that don't fit. Yeah, And you're, like, yeah. scuffling, like, shuffling With your towel and your arms. Yeah. And they have, like, an extra, what is that called? The extra, like... The haori. The haori, yes. It's, like, a to a keep coat. you... Yeah. In a, like, to keep you warmer yeah. in your kimono in the winter. You don't have to wear that if you don't want to. I often don't, um, just because I'm too tall for those things oh, okay. <laughs> a lot of the time. Uh, so yeah, your pajamas are perfectly acceptable. But yeah, you go down to that, like somewhere in this hotel, you find it, and then you, like, there's a changing room, yep. and all the ladies, it's it's gender segregated, guys, oh, yes. don't worry. We haven't mentioned that, but... And sometimes if it's a pretty big place, they might even have a private bath or two. 
So if you really feel uncomfortable um, being naked in front of people you don't know, or possibly people you do know, I think that's, if anything, maybe worse, like your travel companions. My mom, I had to beg her to go to the hot spring with me, and she did it for about a minute. Bless her. But she, yeah. it was, that was a problem for her. Yeah, my, my mother wasn't into it either. So that's, you know, it's just what you're, what you grew up with. But they might have then private ones that you can basically rent for a small fee for, usually it's about an hour. And so you get the experience without the uncomfortableness. Yeah. Uh, that's something worth checking. This is not a given uh, before you book a, your ryokan. But if you're going for it and going to the onsen with all the people, um, yeah, you get, you take off your clothes, you wash before you get into the bath very well. Uh, you, if you have long hair, you put it up so that it doesn't drag in the water. You don't dip anything besides yourself in the water. So yeah, no towel. Yeah. All that, and then you chill. And if they have an outdoor bath, that's oh, just the best thing. Oh, especially in the snow. Oh, or anything really. Yeah. In cherry blossom season. Oh. Or in oh fall season. Yeah, and it's, it's so magical. great. If you've been spending a few days in Tokyo or Osaka, and then you go out into the countryside at a ryokan, there's like nothing more peaceful. It's so quiet yeah. out there. Yeah, it's well. It is definitely an experience you should have at least once in your life if you're coming to Japan. Yeah. Well, have we have we missed anything? I mean, this has been such a great journey. I feel like I've gone on a journey <laughs> in this episode. I don't know. There's so... That's the thing. There's so much. It would be interesting to see what people want to know. It would mm -hmm. be great to answer their questions just because we've been here a long time, I think. Yeah. I mean, in your case, coming and going in the past couple of years of nomadity. Yeah, um, I'm trying to think of some things like my, my friends have said about Japan when mm -hmm. I have been traveling these last couple of years, like what questions they had. It's Yeah, they definitely know the main spots, but to, to understand that there's so much, oh, there's, there's so, so much many more. other things. There really yeah. is so much more. I always recommend people kind of travel by their interest mm -hmm. instead of like, okay, you have to do Tokyo, Kyoto, blah, de, blah, de, blah. It's like, yeah, you know what? Not really. It's like, at you know, instead of Kyoto, maybe do Kanazawa, which is similar but less crowded. Um, in, oh, I mean, Osaka is pretty great, is really great for food, but there's, I mean, Fukuoka is totally awesome as well. And there's quite a few direct flights to Fukuoka from Southeast Asia yeah. or China, so yeah. That too, easily start redundant. there. And I mean, the bullet train, I mean, personally, I try to avoid flights as much as possible. And then, I mean, okay, you have to fly to Japan. You cannot swim here. <laughs> uh, do, do not recommend that. But once you get here, then there's all this train, these great train and bus access, great public transport. So um, And there's no safer really place nice. in the world to travel. Really, there isn't, mm -hmm. that I have gone to. You would know, more than I. <laughs> yeah, it's so safe. As a woman by yourself, like, mm -hmm. I never had a moment, even at three in the morning outside, where I felt scared. Yeah. So. I definitely, yeah. I definitely get places very late at night. Again, disclaimer, I am like really five foot nine and look scary. And but you're quite fluent in Japanese now. But they so don't you know can, that. They don't know that, that's true, but that you're going to tell them if they uh, try um, anything. Well, but, yes, yeah. um, find, they find that out later. But again, you know, I arrive at midnight and I'm walking to the hotel and, you know, it's so far fine. I mean, of course, take basic precautions. But you never know. Yeah. You never know. There's bad people everywhere in the world. So, but uh, yeah, no, it's it definitely feels very safe, and I really love the public transportation, because I do not want to drive. I should not be allowed to drive too much, <laughs> too easily distracted. 
Yeah. Oh, well, thank you so much for telling us more about this magical country of Japan. And finally, thank you again for giving me a home here in Japan. My pleasure. These last few crazy weeks we've had. Hey, you brought me large bottles of wine. It's great. (laughs) Hey. That's a a fair trade. (laughs) (laughs) Well, thank you. And who knows, you might be back on this podcast again when the Olympics come around. Yes, hopefully. Yes. That would be nice. (laughs) I'd like those to start at some point. Yes, it's going to happen. I'm hopeful. Very hopeful. Yes. Well, thank you so much. Yay, thank you. Thanks again to Kiara, not only for her amazing recommendations for off-the-beaten-path Japan travel, but also for her warm hospitality and great cooking advice while she hosted me in Japan. Kiara is actually also an expert on where to find vegan food in Japan, which, trust me, is not easy. So if you're a vegan and heading to Japan in the future, pick up a copy of her Tokyo Vegan Guide on Amazon. You can also check out more of Kiara's travel writing at museandink.co, and I've put a link to that on theschooloftravels.com. You can also find all the places that we've mentioned on the episode today at theschooloftravels.com. Next week, I will be back on my own with part two about off-the-beaten-path travel in Japan, where I give you even more recommendations based on my own personal travel in Japan, because I want to give you as many options as possible to make any trip to Japan an absolutely unforgettable experience. Until next week, listeners, stay safe, stay strong, and stay tuned. Thanks for listening to the School of Travels podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, we'd love for you to subscribe and leave us a rating wherever you get your podcasts. Special thanks to The Sam Chase for allowing us to use their song, In a Perfect World. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode, and remember to always let travel be your teacher. If you keep your options open, there are places you will go. They will treat you like the kings and queens your parents thought you'd be when you were born. You'd see it all with your head up standing tall, and you'd look back and think it's funny how you spent your time and money in this world. Living in this perfect world.